Welcome to Kidney Talk, a program of Renal Support Network, a show that streams health, happiness, and hope to the kidney community. You can download all Kidney Talk shows from iTunes and find a variety of resources to help you navigate this illness at rsnhope.org. Please welcome your host, Lori Hartwell, who has lived with kidney disease since the age of two. Well, welcome to Kidney Talk, everyone. Today we have a, a, a very special treat because we're going to learn about uh, an amazing woman named Vanessa who travels with her dialysis machine. And she's going to tell us a little bit about her life and, and how she made that decision and how she's bringing awareness to let other patients live the lives that they were meant to live. So welcome to the show, Vanessa. Thank you so much for having me. So, so tell us a little bit about when were you diagnosed with kidney disease? I was diagnosed back when I was a seventh grader. Um, I was doing a normal blood test that you would do for school, um, actually for camp, and they saw that I um, had low iron. And so av- among further investigation, it was found out that um, I had some uh, kidney problem going on. We checked to see if I was internally bleeding or why I was so anemic, and it turned out that I um, had a kidney problem. I actually never had any symptoms of kidney disease. Oh, well, and that, and so when did your kidney disease progress to where you needed uh, dialysis or transplant to survive? So, I was followed for a number of years. Um, I graduated high school in 1991. My mother was actually a perfect match for me. I got a kidney transplant from my mom in 1991, um, so I never started dialysis right away. I got a transplant. That transplant lasted me about five and a half years, and then I um, had chronic rejection. And the reason that I rejected is actually due to some of the immunosuppressants that I was on. Um, they actually became toxic and ended up um, killing the transplanted kidney. And so I ended up on dialysis um, you know, a couple of years after, so 1991 by 1998 or 99, I believe, I started dialysis. So I have actually been on dialysis now for about 20 years. Wow. And when did you discover home dialysis? Well, I started off in center, so I was going to dialysis three days a week um, for about eight years in center. And I had just gotten married, and I was actually still working, and my husband and I were looking to start a family And I just remember thinking, well, I've got to find a better way to do dialysis because it was always just kind of taking up all my life. It was hard to work. It was hard to be a newlywed. It was hard to even think about starting a family. Um, And so, to be honest with you, I think I just researched online because uh, my doctor did not tell me about home dialysis, home hemodialysis. Um, It was never offered to me. There were no classes. Um, and so I just found out about home and I actually called myself. I found this, uh, dialysis company at that time. It was owned by a doctor and I called them to inquire to find out a little bit about home. And I will tell you, you know, it took me probably over a year to actually transition to home because, um, as any dialysis patient will tell you, it's pretty scary to think about being the one that's responsible for doing your treatment and I was worried about cannulation and what if there is some kind of medical emergency. So it did take me a good year or so to actually transition to be able to do home hemo. Now, did you ever think about doing peritoneal dialysis? You know, I was never told about peritoneal dialysis. Um, And then later when I found out about it, at that point, I just felt like I didn't want another surgery. Okay. 
I was, you know, worried a little bit about showering and I, I wasn't too keen on having something sticking out of, you know, my stomach area. And so I, I never went that route. However, that's not to say that I would never do it in the future. I, I just have been sticking with what I know at this point. Did you get a, a fistula placed? Um, I did get a fistula placed. Yep, I've had a fistula placed ever since I started dialysis, pre-dialysis, and then on dialysis, obviously. You know, that that is such an amazing point right there for everybody listening. <laughs> because uh, a secret to being successful in home hemodialysis or any type of uh, hemodialysis is having the best access and a fistula is the gold standard. So how did you get up the courage to cannulate yourself? (laughs) Well, um, I kind of just told myself if I want to have a better life and I want to feel better and have more flexibility and kind of reap the clinical benefits, I've got to get over this. And I honestly just made myself do it. Um, and so my husband is my care partner, um, and and he learned how to take the needles out. But believe it or not, he never learned how to put the needles in. He wasn't trained. Um, and I don't know if it's that I didn't want him to. I think I was just very much like, I've got to be able to do this. And um, I, I started learning by actually doing self-care in-center, which I really mm-hmm. think is kind of um, the best way for a patient to get over the fear because... I was doing it in center, you know, with, surrounded by all the nurses and techs that have known me for so many years, and they knew my arm, and they knew my fistula, and so I just started by even watching them, because for many years, I would turn my head the other way, and I didn't even watch the needles go in, you know, and so the first part of it was being able to watch them, and I probably did that for about a week or two, and then the, afterwards, I did what we call the guided method, mm-hmm. which is when... Um, the tech at the time, he was actually putting the needles in, but I would put my hand over his and he would be guiding the needles in, but I was kind of just learning the motion um, and the way to be able to put needles in. And so I did that probably for a number of weeks with him. And then slowly I would do one at a time. And I remember saying, you know, like you stand right here, don't leave anywhere. Uh, I'm going to do the first needle. I need you here just in case, you know? Right. And that's how I started to do it so that when I actually went home to do home dialysis and then was trained um, on cannulation, I, I already was, you know, I wouldn't say that I had it down pat, but I was well on my way. And so I really feel that that's like a tip of the trade, if you will, for patients that are thinking about doing home dialysis. I mean, if you can even start doing self-care in-center, um, I, I really think that helps alleviate a lot of that anxiety that goes on with being able to cannulate because it's not easy to do. Well, you know, there's studies that show when you don't feel like you're in control, you feel anxious. And taking care of your own di- I was on um, PD for nine years in home hemo for about eight months. And just being just you know, being in charge makes you feel more at ease because when you give up control to people who you may not know sometimes if they have a new person rotating in the clinic it, it, it and they don't smile when they approach you it makes you a little bit anxious like oh my god did they have a bad day you know and so um and then by going home i know for me it really helped me control um what i saw every day um sometimes i would be in clinic or at the center and you know I would go at the five o'clock morning shift 
And oftentimes people who came from nursing homes went at the 5 a.m. shift. And it was it was difficult <laughs> to see some people on the end of their life. I mean, they're on the end of their life, and it's just part of, you know, the dialysis process of uh, seeing other people pass away, which was uh, another reason <laughs> that home dialysis is so beneficial because you can have your family, your pets, your friends over, and it's uh, much easier. But one of the things I wanted to talk to you about, Vanessa, is you traveling. And um, I really want to share some information with our listeners about tips of traveling and what you've learned over the years. Sure. I, I, I love that, that topic. <laughs> so wh- when did you take your first trip? I think the first trip... Um, I honestly can't remember exactly when I took it, um, but the first trip, I know where I took it. Uh, the first trip, so I live in Massachusetts, and, you know, the first trip, um, I was obviously very nervous to travel, uh, and I didn't want to go by plane, at least not right away. I felt like I needed to do something closer to home where if something was wrong, I, I could, you know, get back to what I needed. So the first trip that I took is um, we went to Cape Cod, uh, we rent a house every summer in the Cape, and um, I took my machine with me for the first time. And, you know, I remember I, I had a whole checklist of all my supplies and went through everything and I put everything in the bag and checked it off as I went. And then we packed up and we went and we arrived to the house in the Cape and I'm unpacking and I'm getting everything ready. And I realized that I forgot saline. <laughs> so... <laughs> You learn, right? Because I was right. so worried about everything that goes with the machine. Do I have the needles? Do I have the pure flow supplies? Do I have a waistline? Do I have cartridge? Do I have gauze, etc.? I had everything, but I forgot the saline. And so it was good. I mean, it was a good lesson learned in that my father-in-law at the time ended up driving. He went to my house. He picked up the saline, and he met us halfway. Um, so I was able to, you know, to pick up the saline and be able to dialyze still in the Cape. But, you know, those are kind of the things that, you know, the lessons that you go through that you learn. I definitely think as a patient, the first trip, the first goal you should take is to just do a little trip. You know, even if it's a weekend away in, you know, a couple of towns next door or at a friend's house or at a hotel or something, just to get used to the whole piece of packing up the machine, packing up your supplies, you know, doing your checklist, kind of all those little things that go into traveling before you go ahead and, you know, board a plane or a train or a cruise or something like that. I think it's good to do like a dry run. And you're using the next stage machine. So how big is that? Like, does that fit in your trunk or do you have to get a special van or how, how how do you make that work? So the next stage machine is, uh, it weighs when it is in, so it weighs about 75 pounds. But when you put it in the travel case, there's two different cases that you can use to travel. There's a soft case that's on wheels and has a handle, um, which I would say is, you know, easier to use. So that's a good one. Like when I go to Cape Cod or I'm going somewhere in my car, I can put the the machine in the trunk in that case, and it's nice, like I said, because it's pretty portable and that it's on wheels and there's a handle. When you travel via a plane or a cruise or a train, um, you should use the hard case. The hard case, when the machine is in the hard case, it does weigh about 99 pounds, so it's not light. 
Um, and, and it does, it is not on wheels and there is no handle. So the next question is, well, how do you get it from point A to point B? Um, and, and what I end up doing is a couple of things. Um, in my house, I do have like a little wheelie that I put the machine on so I can wheel it out into the car. Um, my husband, my boys and myself will actually help put it in the car. I think my biggest travel tip to give patients that are traveling with a heart case is two things. Number one is make sure you have plenty of time to get there so that you're not worried about timing and things. And number two, in all honesty, is you have to bring money to tip people along the way. Um, I, I kind of feel like I have it down pat. Um, when I get to an airport, I usually get one of those uh, carts that you can get for your luggage. And I put the machine on that and I stack my suitcases right on top of it and I wheel it into the check-in counter. Um, other patients might want to use the uh, sky cap. So when you get to the airport, there's sometimes sky caps that can help you. And so they can help you put your luggage in the tram that they have and wheel it into a check-in. I definitely think if, if you need handicap service, you know, if you get a sky cap that can help you get a wheelchair, and then as well help you move the machine to where you need to be. But you should call your airport and make sure that there's actually SkyCap service because not all airports actually provide check-in SkyCap service. I know some of them are really small. I live in Los Angeles, so they're all very large. But I've, I've, I've flown into some of those, I call them little podunk towns, that I'm like, well, there's nobody there. There's, you know, it's a, it's a, there's one light on, and that's it. <laughs> um, now, what about the other supplies that you use, uh, the bags for the Next Stage machine? Do they ship those ahead of time, or do you travel with those as well? So when you're traveling within the United States, um, the bags are shipped as long as you call it in within your specific time frame and, and it depends on your, your center, what your time frame is, but usually it's about a month ahead of time. You would call uh, your nurse, your nurse would call in your prescription order and then they would ship the bag to wherever you're going. So, for instance, I'm here at the AAKP meeting and I called in my prescription and so when I arrived to the hotel... Um, my my all my dialysis supplies, the bags and the cartridges were here. You have to bring your ancillary supplies. So you have to bring your needles, your gauze, your tape, your saline, <laughs> uh, which I forgot that time. Um, all of that stuff you need to bring yourself. So I usually have a separate suitcase that I pack just with supplies. And actually it's important to note that when you are checking in to an airport, um, you are required to have your supplies separate from your actual um, bag, your actual bag with your clothes in it. They need to be separate or they um, can charge you for it. So you want to make sure that your your supplies, your dialysis supplies are packed in a separate suitcase. Um, the machine and your supplies should ship for free because they're life-saving medical equipment. Okay, that's good to know. Have you ever um, been worried about, you know, some of the needles and gauze, everything? Has it ever gotten lost and not made it to the destination? Well, no, knock on wood, it hasn't gotten lost. Um, yeah, I sometimes do worry about that, but I try to do a couple of things. So number one is I always do a treatment the day before I leave so that if for whatever reason it is lost, 
you know, I have like basically a 24 hour, you know, buffer before I need to do a treatment. So that's number one. Number two, if I'm, you know, traveling within the United States, I don't worry as much as well because I know if, if God forbid something happens, you know, I hope to be able to get into one of the clinics nearby if that, if need be, but knock on wood, that, that hasn't been a problem. Um, one time my machine did did not come in the same time I came in, so it missed the flight. And so it was, it arrived later, and I just waited at the airport for it to come because I was, you know, nervous. Even though they said they would, they would deliver it to, you know, wherever at my destination, I was, I decided to wait because it's my lifeline. And so I wanted to make sure that it came in. The other tip that I would give patients when traveling is, so let's say, you're traveling somewhere in the United States and you have your supplies shipped. If they're shipping it to a hotel or even to a friend's house, what I always do, number one, is I call the destination to where I'm traveling. So I call the hotel. I ask them how many boxes do they have. So I make sure that it matches what was sent. So I knew I sent eight boxes and they said they had eight boxes. But even I go one step further, which is I ask them to actually take a picture of it and text it to me because I want to make sure that those eight boxes are not, you know, eight boxes of cartridges or just eight boxes of hanging bags. I want to make sure that it's the right equipment and they're not going to know that. So I have them usually text me a picture of it just to make sure. And so the other piece of that is when you're having shipped, I always have them arrive probably two or three days before I arrive just in case there is a problem. I can call my nurse and and get that sorted out for what I need. So how many trips have you taken? Probably over 40. 40? I mean, I probably travel in the United States probably three times a year at least. And then um, I've traveled with the machine outside of the United States as well, um, probably three, four times. So... Yeah, I've taken many trips. So where have you traveled abroad? So last June, I went to Italy, and I took the machine with me, and that was an amazing trip, and I had a wonderful experience. Um, and so when you travel outside of the United States, it um, the, the rules are a little different. Um, it's not going to be shipped for you. So you have to, again, you would have to speak with your care team to find out what that entails. Um, usually you have to pay an outside fee um, to have your deliveries or your supplies delivered. And again, it depends on if there's distribution in those countries, what those fees would be. So everything really varies. Um, so I'm not getting really into specifics because it depends on where the distribution is. And if there isn't distribution, then, you know, sometimes next stage um, can ship for you. You would have to see, again, also what those fees entail or um, some people might even ship it on their own. But you would be responsible always for those costs. So um, it's it's an added expense and it's um, not as easy, but um, it's certainly been well worth it, all the trips that I've taken outside now, of the U.S. When you travel, do you travel by yourself or do you... Do you meet people, or how does that work? Ninety percent of the time, I'm traveling with my family, but there are there have been a couple of times that I've traveled by myself, um, including even now. I'm going to be leaving here and going to another destination, and I'm traveling by myself with a machine. And so I just try to make sure that I get everything in order. I try to travel at 
at time, like I, I try not to come in late somewhere. So, you know, I just try to think of, of all the best possibilities of travel to make ensure that I have, you know, a successful trip. I mean, I've been doing this for a really long time, so I wouldn't necessarily <laughs> tell people to travel by themselves. Um, but I think that once you start learning how to get everything together and get your supplies and know what to do, um, you know, you do feel more confident and you are able to travel on your own. Well, and one of the things that I know that for myself being on home dialysis is uh, how, how often do you dialyze and how do you feel? Because that's one of the big parts about traveling is, you know, you need to feel well to take care of yourself and do all the other things you're traveling for. So how does that work out? Well, it depends on what I'm traveling for, but I have found when I travel, it's interesting because when I'm at home, I usually dialyze at night when I finish my day and I do kind of a a shorter daily treatment is what I do. But when I travel, I find that that doesn't really work as well. So I think it depends a lot on your schedule. For me, I found that I like to get up in the morning and do my treatment like first thing in the morning and kind of be done by noon, and then I can have the rest of the day and evening to enjoy. So it really depends on what's going on. When I'm working, it depends on what the schedule is at work. Um, and so I try to, and so waking up in the morning and doing a treatment is not always an option. Sometimes I have to dialyze at the end of the day, you know? Right. And so I really just try to make it work around whatever the schedule is going to be. I'm definitely better a night person than a morning person. So I think that depends on, you know, each person and, and what they, what they feel best doing. But I definitely find that when I travel, I kind of like to get it out of the way in the morning. Um, but it depends on what the schedule is. So, uh, Vanessa, now you work with Next Stage full-time, which is a, a great because uh, you can use your own personal experience to help others. And tell us a little bit about what it's like to work for Next Stage and, you know, share your experience as a patient and as a professional working for the company. Well, I'm really delighted to be working with them because I feel for me, Next Stage really changed my life in terms of getting it back. Um, I mean, I always was working... Um, even before I was doing dialysis at home with Next Stage, I was working as a Spanish teacher. I started my own business. Um, and so I've always been a very active person. Um, but, you know, there was always going in center. And so then transitioning um, to home really allowed me to get my life back and, and really even be able to do more. So working for Next Stage for me is, is a privilege. Um, I oversee, we have about 45 patient advocates that I manage. And for me, it's really a great honor because I put myself with them. I'm also at heart always an advocate first. And so I really want them to have the sense of community in terms of knowing what's going on in the kidney community, knowing what's going on with policy, um, with next stage, any business updates that we have going on, kind of being that liaison between the two of them. I feel that I also have a a unique voice working um, in the corporate office, being the only patient there in the corporate office is uniquely interesting and that I can certainly give my advice in a patient perspective that, you know, I think that everyone that works there is doing it because they want to change the world and they know the difference that a patient feels when they do their treatment. And so be able to hear the patient perspective and see it firsthand, I think for them is great. And for me, it's great to be able to share that. I I really have enjoyed my work with them. It makes it very meaningful, doesn't it? Um, In the mid-90s, I worked for a hemodialysis diagnostic company that was bringing a product to market. And 
I would be there with the inventor, and you know, it was one of my best jobs, and it was so much fun. That's the way I feel. It was so much fun because you could use your personal adversity to help others, <laughs> and uh, and <laughs> that's really what it is. It's 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 about being able to share my experiences, help others, um, and also like work with my community of advocates that you know are either transplanted themselves or still doing home dialysis and be able to spread the word about home. You know, I, 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 I feel that as a patient, you know, home might not be for everybody, right. but the point is that they need to at least be educated right. and know what their options are. Exactly. So that's what my belief is, that we need to know what our options are. And if it's not right for you, that's okay. But you need to be able to say that and understand what it what it entails versus somebody making that decision for you or never even telling you. Here, here. Or giving you false information. <laughs> here, worse. here. I know. I had one of my friends uh, was told she couldn't do um, PD. And I'm like, what do you mean you can't do PD? And she's like, uh, I said, well, why don't you go get an appointment with another doctor? And she did. And she did PD for six years. So she was transplanted. And it was just because that doctor did not understand PD. And I give him the stink eye every time I see him. And, uh, you know, it's um, it's just not fair because people are playing with our lives. And, and that's, uh, you know, it's, it's, you know, they're supposed to be here to help us live the best life we can. I want to uh, follow up with one uh, question here about your family because you alluded to having, uh, wanting to start a family. And d- did you end up having children? Yes, I have two boys. Um, mm-hmm. They are now 13 and 11 years old. Um, very, very active. You know, they don't know me other than being on dialysis. And, you know, I think for me, they, they well, for them, I should say, dialysis is just part of our lives, right? Um, they just will say, Mom, are you doing your treatment tonight? Yeah, okay. So they know it's come with us on family vacations. You know, I, it's in our family room. Um, I do dialysis while I quiz them for tests and quizzes. I do dialysis while I'm trying to tell them to stop fighting and wrestling. So, it's, you know, it does become just part of the family. Um, and, and, and that's the other piece of it is, you know, a lot of patients worry, well, I have, you know, kids at home or I don't want to bring this home. And, you know, it, it really, it, it's all what you make of it. I don't make it a big deal. I make it like, well, I'm just getting on my treatment. And, and because, we all have that persona that that's the way they feel. I mean, they probably thought it was normal to have a dialysis machine in their home, you know, at least for the first couple of years um, because we didn't make it really a big deal or, oh, you know, quiet mom's on dialysis or, you know, don't do anything. It's really, it's really become part of our makeup, our genetic makeup of our family. Well, and this is this is a totally uh, separate kidney talk show that you have to do uh, on another occasion. But did you give birth to those two kids on dialysis? This is a whole other talk. Yeah, um, no. So they are biologically mine, but I did IVF. So I had a gestational carrier carry um, both boys for me. Okay, so that is another kidney talk. But I think, (laughs) and because you know, uh, having a family is such an important um, topic when you have kidney disease. Like everybody needs to know their choices and yada yada yada. And I think it's 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 wonderful that and you have eleven and a thirteen year old. Oh my goodness, do they keep you busy? 
Very, very, very. It's almost nice to be away right now in a hotel room with nobody else around. (laughs) (laughs) You get a little bit of quiet. A little bit of quiet. So, Vanessa, share um, a few tips of what people need to do if they want to travel. So, obviously, if you're interested in travel, the first thing you need to do is speak with your doctor and make sure that, you know, it it could be something that's viable for you to travel. And then, you know, if you are a next-stage patient, um, I would also recommend... Uh, calling Next Stage Customer Service, um, and you can talk to them about your order and where you're going to travel. Um, your nurse is actually the one that has to put in your prescription, so they would be able to put in your prescription, but customer service can help you walk through those steps to know where you're going to travel. And uh, and then you just go have a good time, <laughs> right? Then you go and you have a good time, and you know you want to you might want to research where you want to go in terms of hotel. You want to make sure maybe that it's handicapped accessible. Um, you know what does the room layout look like? That's another important tip to know. Bring extension cords. Yes, and a couple of tips actually would be exactly that. Number one is I always bring an extension cord. Number two is I always bring pliers. And number three is I always bring scissors. Pliers because sometimes the tubing can get stuck, right? And and it's hard for me to undo, so I use pliers. Scissors for opening boxes, cutting things, whatever you need. Um, and, and then the extension cord because I always plug in kind of a heating pad because I'm always cold. Um, and you might have, a, you know, your phone and things that you might want to plug in. So I always have all those things with me when I travel as well. You want to make sure you have trash bags and kind of all the necessities of what you need. Well, and my 90-year-old uncle who has since passed away, and I think of this all the time, he says, travel with a 100-watt bulb. And and a lot of times I get into a, a a hotel room and I'm like, wow, I need that hundred watt bulb because the, yep. the light's so dim sometimes that um, it uh, you know I'm like I should have listened to him. He knew what he was talking to. So I have my phone flashlight, which he wasn't aware of, but um, it gets pretty dark sometimes in some hotel rooms. It does get pretty dark, and so those are all those things that you have to kind of keep in mind when you travel and know that it's not going to be your house, you know. Um, so you're not going to be as comfortable, but you just have to kind of, you know, figure out what's going to be the best place. Where do you want to place the machine? Where are you going to sit? How are you going to set up? Like kind of all those things. I know when I first get into a hotel room, the very first thing I do is set up the machine because I want to make sure that number one, everything's working. If I went on a flight, you never know sometimes, right? So um, that's the first thing I do is always set up the machine, make sure everything's working, make sure I have all the supplies I need. And then I, I can be a little more at ease. But next stage is also good if you need anything in terms of next stage supplies. They will overnight them for you if you need something. Um, but you want to make sure that you have all that taken care of. Well, Vanessa, um, I have to say you are a, a fascinating woman. Um, I'm sure we could talk for many hours. And Absolutely. you're a champion of uh, surviving and thriving with kidney disease. And you know, your example to um, to our peers is, is just so important. I mean, you're not letting uh, kidney disease stop you from living the life you were meant to live. And uh, I, I commend you for that. Thank you. Thank you. I, I really do try to continue to live an active and normal lifestyle. And I do dialysis. That's the way I exactly. Look at it. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's so funny. I ask people this. I'm like, so what do you do? And they're like, oh, I do dialysis. And I'm like... 
okay, we need to work on the self-esteem. <laughs> um, you know, it's it's so true because if dialysis is your only world, I know for a fact that depression sets in and you don't have anything to look forward to. And, you know, it's depression is a separate thing in itself. But if you don't have, you know, something that you look forward to every day um, or something that you want to do in the future, it's really easy to kind of give up. And uh, yeah. I've, I've witnessed that in my 50 years of living with this illness. So, and, and so have I. And that's why I think it's so important for patients to know that they have options. And, and, and I was scared. I was scared doing home. I was scared taking my first trip. That was so frightening. But I, I always would say, and I, I, I honestly feel like I owe this to my mom because I, you know, she never, she would say, okay, so you, you, you know, you had a transplant, you can't work right now when I, when I, after I had my transplant or you're on dialysis, you need time off. Okay. Take the time you need and then move on. Like, right. like give it, give it what you need. And then you got to like get it together and you got to move on. And so that's kind of always been my motto in terms of, okay, yeah, I'm scared to take a trip, but if I don't take this trip, then what? I'm always going to be here. Like I, I'm never going to be able to go on vacation again. No. And honestly, Lori, once you go home and you've got it down pat, the last thing you want to do is go back and center. Right. So it, yeah. it, it, it's like, no, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to do it. Well, Vanessa, thank you so much for sharing your story. I'm sure I'll run into you in an airport soon. If not, uh, we'll see you on social media. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for listening to Kidney Talk, a program of Renal Support Network. Please make sure to find us on Facebook or sign up for our newsletter at rsnhope.org. Kidney Talk is intended for informational purposes only. It is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment from your physician. Always seek the advice of your own health care provider regarding your medical condition.